Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dirty Money. I'm here with my co-host, Mike. How are you doing, Mike? Hey, just another day in paradise. Ready to talk about the sinister side of finance? Let's break it down. In this week's episode, let's take a look. We have US government spending trillions of dollars. We're going to go through the budget, exactly how much is being spent, especially how much is being spent to service the national debt, which is incredible as interest rates are rising. Then we have inflation is down, according to the uh, recent Bureau of Labor Statistics report came out this week. But we'll tell you why we aren't really out of the woods yet. There's a lot of interesting data in that too. Then we have the New Hampshire governor family is mining copper in the Amazon. I know that's something you wanted to talk about, Mike. And also a AI company has raised 113 million dollars, which is uh, really an astronomical number. We're going to talk all about that in a moment. And Bill Gates has just met with China's Xi Jinping, the president of China, uh, before Anthony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State, goes there this weekend. And uh, that's kind of significant. The president of China meeting with a private businessman rather than a U.S. official certainly paints a clear picture of U.S.-China relations. So we're going to go through all that in this video as well. Uh, first of all, if you're listening to us on any of the major podcast platforms, do give us a five-star review share this podcast with your friends. And if you are on any of the other platforms like YouTube or TikTok or Instagram Reels, you can follow us on there too. Our handle is at Dirty Money Show. So Mike, let's take a look at how much the US is overspending on its budget. We've got some great statistics here. Yeah. Last year, we spent more in the fiscal year than we ever have. In, in the history of the United States. And not only that, we did bring in the most amount of money we ever did, but we're still spending $1.4 trillion more dollars than we did last year. So th this breaks it down, usafacts.org. If you're not familiar with the website, awesome website, gives you a lot of uh, good facts. So you can see $483.5 billion we spent on interest payments alone last year. Some of the largest companies in the world aren't even worth $483 billion. And interestingly, that is actually about $100 billion more than we spent last year. And that's all because of interest rates rising, isn't it? You know, when they refinance bonds, they have to refinance them at a higher rate. And uh, so it's added a hundred billion or more in, in, in payments per year, just, you know, the interest rates rising, which is crazy. Yeah. So, so it's also interesting to think that the, the government is the one raising the interest rates on themselves. The person the they're getting hit, trying to fight the inflation, trying to do whatever they can, but they also brought in the most money last year too, five, a little over $5 trillion in revenue, which is pretty crazy. You know, the income is $2.63 trillion. I find that even more interesting because on here, you don't see anything that has to do directly with tariffs or things like that. And our country before 1913 fundamentally ran on tariffs. We ran on import business. So if you wanted to sell products here in the United States, you brought it over, we taxed you for it. And that's where our income came from. The, the personal income tax was only supposed to be a temporary fix to what was going on in the government but as you know temporary means forever in any government so here we are 110 years later still uh, absorbing the brunt of temporary 1913 and now the income tax is the biggest tax 
that we have, isn't it? It generates the most revenue of any tax. Payroll tax is second, and payroll tax is basically the same thing as in- income tax anyway. Right. It's on your on your salary. Um, so it's just a kind of a code word for <laughs> more income tax. Um, and then you know the the next down, the next category down doesn't even come close. Yeah, they're they're not even near that amount of revenue. That's the corporate income tax, which to me is fine. It makes sense. You're you're doing business here in America. That's where the corporate corporations pay based on the profits that they return from their business dealings. Now, the other thing that I found really interesting is that if we if we're spending six point four trillion dollars and it says down at the bottom there other spending what exactly is other spending is this is this where our funds are being sent to places like ukraine and other countries and we're fighting wars for them or what exactly is going on there so it's a it's a little bit interesting to think about you know there there's 1.16 trillion dollars that other spending so that means it's spread out I think that there's a lot of details in here that are overpriced, that the government does a little bit more tightening. They can get things for a lot cheaper. So that that's, that's the idea is that if you can actually look at your spending in the government like a business and say, how do I become profitable? And how do we at the same time have, you know, social care and everything else that we need in America, but we still maintain our profits. I mean, there's companies that do that. And so there has to be ways for us to do it as a, as a nation. And right. if we don't do it and we do, you know, 1.4 trillion uh, passed to our debt every year. I mean, we're never, there's no end in sight. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. They're stratospheric numbers. We know we're near balancing the budget or being able to pay back the debt. Um, what's amazing as well in those statistics that you shared, the government spends uh, $19,434 per person. I don't feel like I've had $19,000 spent on me this year um, at all. And it's crazy. It's, it's absolutely insane. Like that 19,000 can, uh, how about if you just give me the 19,000 and the rest of the people in the United States, and we'll see how even even cut that to to nine thousand per person is okay. Exactly right, because you need to spend some money on the military and um, you know roads and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, let's say you, they gave half of it back to you. I mean, I would definitely appreciate that. Most of the roads actually are maintained by the county, the state, no, the or the state. local or the local municipalities. And so, but they also do. The state receives funding for roads from the federal government depending on what they're doing for the infrastructure, but the maintenance of those roads after that, that infrastructure has been put in is meant to be maintained by those municipalities, counties, and states. So a lot of this money that you see being spent really doesn't reach people. Social security is probably the closest. And, and if you talk to somebody who survives on social security, it's the same thing. Every single conversation, I'm barely surviving or I get, you know, free meals from the, the delivery meals or, you know, I have all this. So it's like $1.2 trillion. Is there a better way to spend that? I mean, the government, when they bailed out their automakers, made hundreds of billions of dollars. Can we can we spend, you know, maybe $200 billion and see if they put the money in Meta? They would have doubled their money this year. <laughs> Investing <laughs> it like a sovereign wealth fund, basically. Yeah, like exactly. Kind of like Saudi Arabia does, you know? 
I, yeah. I think that would be that would be really intelligent. Something that that could work out because we're we do it with the central bank now. They can also inside a trade as well. We can put Nancy Pelosi in charge of it, uh, or Nancy Pelosi's husband. We can put him yeah. in charge of the sovereign wealth fund, and uh, he can uh, trade based off of uh, policies that Congress is making. And then we'll cover all. And then people in Social Security can actually feel like we're they're living normal life. I like that idea. Um, Nancy, if you're listening, no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so uh, that that's kind of what is interesting to me um, is that if we could really treat our spending like a business, we could probably reduce our necessary for revenue and at the same time um, make better lifestyles for the people that are supported by the programs that the government pays for like the veterans and the medicare and things like that like there's better ways to go about doing that right well speaking of the government and the economy let's let's segue into our next piece which is about inflation because the consumer price index came out a few days ago it fell inflation fell to four percent which is the lowest rate in two years and it's below what analysts projected, which was 4.1%. Inflation at 4%, it doesn't mean prices are dropping. Prices are just going up slower than before. The ideal inflation apparently is 2%. So even at their ideal, your money is worth less and less every year. But that's sort of the way the economy works. So the overall figure is 4%, which like we said, is the lowest since June 2021. But you can see that food is still increasing in price, 6.7%, 5.8%. However, energy has come down significantly. You can see gasoline minus 19%. You can see fuel oils, that's come down minus 37%. I mean, that's huge. Then you've got used cars and trucks. Those are coming down. New vehicles still increasing in price a little bit. Unfortunately, shelter, which would be rent and more, and you know, prices of homes, that's still increasing. 8% inflation. Transportation is still increasing. So you know, we still have serious inflation in the economy, but luckily, particularly the oil prices and anything linked to oil, like the gasoline and stuff, that's coming down. Used cars and trucks coming down as well. That could be an indicator that the economy is cooling. I'll give you some statistics. Last June, inflation was peaking at 9%. That was the peak. Gas was over $5 a gallon. Now we're down to 4% and gas is three sixty a gallon. So things are getting better. Well, <laughs> better because it's a sign of the economy cooling off. And there are some pretty worrying statistics, pretty worrying. So something interesting that could be a sign that the economy is cooling is that RV sales are down 50% in 2023. Now, if you think about it, an RV, it's not something the average person needs, right? I mean, it's like a luxury. You'd have your regular car and then you'd have your RV, unless there's someone who's going to live in their RV, but that's like a different thing altogether. But most people who have an RV, it's for going on vacation, right? So they have a house and they have that RV as something extra. and so it really is the ultimate luxury vehicle. Okay, this one here with this alpaca in front of it doesn't look luxury, but, <laughs> but luxury at its finest. Yeah, it is. It is supposedly the the ultimate luxury vehicle if you do have an RV, if you're fortunate enough to have one uh, to take it on vacation and stuff. And when RV sales drop, it's actually one of the gauges that certain economists look at to get uh, a gauge of of where the economy is heading. Because people tend to cut luxury spending first, and, and then they just keep their money for their essential spending. So the RV, you know, RV sales dropping fifty percent is a clear indication that we could be heading for a downturn. Now, similar to RV sales, there's also another thing called the cardboard box index. So when cardboard box sales are down, 
<laughs> I, I think this is very funny. When cardboard box sales are down, it points to a sharp fall in inflation by the end of the year because it means people are ordering less products, okay? Because obviously, what do products ship in? None other than cardboard boxes, right? <laughs> and if there's less demand for products, the prices of products will go down. You've got this guy from Charles Schwab, Chief Global Investment Strategist Jeffrey Kleintop from Charles Schwab, talking about the cardboard box recession and what it means. And he actually thinks that it means that inflation will hit about 2% around the end of the year, just because the sales of cardboard boxes have gone down so much. It's indicating demand destruction, demand for goods going down, which is going to lower prices because it's lowering demand. It's kind of interesting to think about the RV sales. Part of it is that when you purchase an RV, there's you can actually get like a 15-year mortgage on the vehicle. So you can get a $50,000 or $100,000 vehicle, which typically a five-year or six-year on a car that's $120,000, $130,000, you're going to pay around two grand a month. But when you get an RV, that's going to be around $100,000. You're going to be around $1,200 a month because you're going to be able to spread that out over 15 years. So it's really like even people that don't have a lot of, uh, you know, disposable income when they're going for the RVs, they can, they can buy them. So 50% drop in that is really significant, I think. And I think the other thing is that's kind of contradictory to that is the airlines right now, they're seeing the biggest boom that they've ever seen. I mean, Delta in the month of May had 20 of its largest cash purchase days ever out of wow. like 30. So the demand for flights is through the roof right now. I think though we're in a kind of contradictory recession though, because, you know, the lockdowns that everyone thinks was closed down for so long that there was a really big, you know, rush back to people doing travel. So if we hadn't had that, maybe you wouldn't be seeing such a high demand for travel. Right. So that the I think it was the CEO of Delta or CEO of another major airline said it. We call it revenge sales. So it's like the revenge against COVID lockdowns. So people are now traveling everywhere, but the, there's still that's like a domestic demand in the United States. European travel still way down compared to what it was before 2020. And so it's pretty interesting to think about, you know, I think that they, they might end up getting this soft landing, either that or we're going to hit a wall or something as the plane comes in. I like, think the US, uh, the US economy is certainly in better shape than other countries. Our stock market is still pretty high. I mean, it's, it's actually kind of booming, right? <laughs> yeah. It's unreal. I mean, I got Ford stock a week ago and I was like, really? Where well, I'm up like 20%. The stock market is contradicting everything that's going on, but they did the same thing in COVID, right? Stock market dropped to like the Dow was down to 18,000. And then overnight it's back at like 28. We had a V-shaped, you know. Yeah, total V-shape. And, and it's interesting that we're going to experience maybe the same thing, but like an, you know, an inverted V instead of the dip, it might be like this, this high sky up and then drop down at the end of the year. But I definitely see the, the seven magnificent tech companies are the ones that led that way with keeping the stock market solid, you know, Meta, Nvidia, Apple, Google, they, they've seen a lot of growth this year. So their stocks are all up. Tech is through the roof with this AI boom. So the, I, I, the cardboard boxes, like 
Yeah, I can see something to it. But does Amazon make their own cardboard boxes? But anyway, he says inflation going down to 2% in the next six months is what he thinks it'll mean. Let's move on to a topic that you wanted to talk about, the New Hampshire governor. And they're doing something quite interesting. Why don't you bring so, us this? Chris uh, Sununu, he's the uh, New Hampshire governor. His father was the New Hampshire governor. He also served as the chief of staff for George H.W. Bush in the 2000s. His father did. But Chris is the governor now. Interestingly enough, his father has been involved with mining for decades. And they're now looking to become the first company to establish a mine inside the Amazon in Colombia. So it's the first mine that Colombia would allow in the Amazon jungle, which is really interesting to me because growing up in the United States, I want to say at least once a month, we were talking about raising money to buy land in the Amazon so that it would be protected forever. I don't know if it was like that for you when you were a kid, Ben, but for me, I probably raised enough money to buy 10 acres in the Amazon myself when I was in elementary school. So I'm curious, you know, how a governor, especially in this climate where everybody's all about treating the environment better, global warming, all that stuff. Uh, I'm not saying I'm a proponent of that or I'm a, I'm against it. I'm just saying like in this environment, it's like, should you really be trying to go and open a copper mine in the Amazon? But, but what's wrong with mining copper? Because like surely mining copper doesn't doesn't take away as much area as logging would, right? Like you just need sort of an entrance to your mine or is it like strip mining where they totally take off a layer of soil? I, I, I'm pretty sure there's, there's mixed uh, formats and ways to do it. Strip mining is the cheapest way to mine and it also affects human beings the least. So people don't die in caves uh, when you're strip mining. You're just digging a big hole, right? It's just massive, massive hole. And so, but any mining operation in the Amazon is going to disrupt that ecological atmosphere there. Okay, so it does. I'm looking at some pictures. It does look like it is strip mining. Most most mines these days are strip mines because, again, it allows for human beings to be safe while they're there. You know, you don't want to. You don't want to hurt anybody. If you're putting in a copper mine, you're going to disrupt probably two square miles, especially if you're trying to do significant mining. Is that, and that bad though? Two square miles? I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here. No, I mean, I I would say that in the Amazon, it's probably can de definitely eliminate some species we don't even know exist. Mm. Um, you know, because we've only explored so much of the Amazon jungle. I mean, I think they they find new plant species new animal new new animals there uh insects things like that every year so it's like the canopy of the amazon is the most abundant organism place in the world so it's like there there's new things that can be found there all the time and so destroying that like there's got to be better places to find copper and so my thoughts are is they're probably getting a good deal from the colombian government who's really trying to move their way into a significant player in South America. They want to be on the level of Chile or Brazil where where they're thought of as, you know, a prominent figure where Colombia most people think of it, they think of, you know, drug cartels or or a crazy place to be in Medellin. Uh, you know, so it's 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 trying to change its imagery. The the brother Michael Sununu and the father 
are investors of this copper and gold mine in Colombia. John, their father, was actually in charge of the 2004, he co-chaired the Secretary of Energy Advisory Board for the United States. So that kind of interests me too. Like, you know, is, is this a conflict of interest? Like, how do you get to be in charge of an energy board, but you're sitting here trying to mine for all kinds of stuff? Sounds so, like a lot, a lot like a conflict of interest to me. Yeah, 100%. I'm definitely concerned about that. And then the company that his father is on the board is, is the Azerbaijan Anglo-Asian Mining. They are over in the Middle East and basically have done some, some things over there to stop wars so that they can go mining or stop conflicts is what they said not wars but uh, i mean anybody that's on the ground is going to feel like it's a war if people are shooting and it's pretty interesting to think that here we have a governor of the united states who's in my mind exploiting the resources of a third world country for profits i wonder how much money ends up going back to colombia at the end of the day for all these mining efforts how much is it responded and returned to their people well, probably they're not getting too good of a deal. No. Exactly. Yeah. So again, I think if you're on the board of energy, you shouldn't be involved with mining. Right. Just like you shouldn't be involved in trading stocks if you're making laws that govern finance, right? <laughs> yeah. It's really simple. Like if you're going to serve the country, then you sacrifice certain things to serve the country and the people. You don't gain from that. And, and that's where we get this elite class of bureaucrats that exist in our country right now and probably around the globe is that they, they have this elite class and there's nobody that's willing to stop it. Talking of big business, there's this AI company, Mistral, and they've just raised $113 million in capital. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? They don't even have a product. Wow. There is no, this company has no product, no, no, nothing. There's, it's three guys that came from Two, two are from Meta, one is from Google. They're all from France. And it's interesting to think that these guys were able to do this in four weeks. This is the largest Amazing. amount of capital raised. So the, the AI boom, that's not, that, that is very real. The AI bubble is very, very real right now. They've got a 260 million valuation. That's insane in and of itself. And all they've done is just hire people. And they're saying that they're gonna use most of this money for computing power which makes sense. If you're going to be AI, you've got to, but it, it, they want to be a useful AI. And it's kind of unique to me when they're saying uh, the first model is going to be for text-based generative AI. And it's like uh, chat GPT. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's pretty useful. So when they say it'd be useful, if they're raising this much money in capital, is it because they came from meta and Google's deep mind? Uh, that they were able to do that or yeah, I mean, I think if they haven't got a product yet, then it's basically going off their background, isn't it? Like who they are and what the potential that they could, you know, do. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to think that $113 million has been raised by an AI company that was only thought of six months ago. And it was only incorporated in the last six weeks. The world of IPOs and funding is starting to break loose a little bit. We saw a big dip in the last couple of years. But now we're going to see IPOs for the AI companies come along. Oh, undoubtedly. And, yeah. And that that's where 
that's where we're going to start seeing the, the IPOs that I think will be reaching trillions of dollars. Let's move into the next and last topic, which is Bill Gates has actually gone to China and met with Xi Jinping, the president of China, just before U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken goes on his trip to China. Now, this is, it's kind of significant because uh, Blinken actually delayed, his trip was supposed to be back in February. But if you guys remember, we had a little visit from a certain uh, Chinese balloon that uh, flew over the country throughout, uh, I think it was February, it was that, it was that yeah. month. It was before, you know, he canceled his trip because of that and delayed it. So he's going to China on Sunday. The relationships between China and the US are not that good at the moment. And so anyway, Bill Gates went to China and he met with Xi Jinping and Xi Jinping said, you're the first American friend who I've met in Beijing this year. Now, he's not snubbing anyone else with that statement because he hasn't actually met any other Americans in Beijing this year. Uh, but interestingly, the meeting comes just after Bill Gates pledged $50 million toward research in China for drug discovery and treatments for infectious diseases. Um, so, you know, you donate $50 million, you get to meet the leader of China. I think it's pretty crazy to... I, I know that she really wants to repair business relations with private companies. Um, I think and the relationship between the United States and China right now is the most strained it's been uh, since the Clinton administration or before the Clinton administration. So it's interesting to think that, you know, he really wants to get back into the international business world and maintain that strength and growth China saw for the last 20 years. And that's where he likes to meet people like Bill Gates. And, you know, the, the looming Taiwan, you know, uh, issue that's always there right now is a big issue with the United States and everything else. But, you know, I think China likes to try to overlook stuff, how we treat our people, how we persecute people for different reasons. They want the world to overlook that because they worship a dollar more than anything else. And so I, I think Bill Gates, you know, he's, he's a very controversial figure in the world, you know, with the stuff that he's done in Africa. It's interesting. He's going to China to meet with Xi and she's not going to meet with somebody that's significant in the United States. And the problem is, is that there's no real communication between the U.S. and China right now. It's like you, you call somebody, they don't answer the phone. You send them an email, they don't email you back. So how are you supposed to discuss policy issues? But it's interesting to think about, like recently, the quotes this year from some of the biggest CEOs in the United States, like, uh, for example, the Starbucks CEO said, we have limitless possibilities in China, limitless. And then if you talk about Elon Musk, the interests of the United States and China are intertwined, like conjoined twins. No, our interests and their interests are a little bit or a lot of bit different. The CCP is only focused on money now. They're not even trying to make sure there's decent relations between countries. They're going for people that are running businesses and giving away their money. And I'm curious to see if there won't be additional uh, philanthropists or CEOs that meet with China publicly uh, to further their business endeavors on different levels. But fundamentally, when it comes to a country, they shouldn't be focused on that. They should be focused on the social uh, environment of their people and not pushing or persecuting them for their beliefs. That being said, we can talk about the next wonderful company uh, in the world, BlackRock. Everyone's favorite. Yeah. 
They are the largest asset management company in the world. And for some context, uh, you know, we've done videos on this before. BlackRock is one of those companies that owns everything, right? Like if you look at the top four shareholders of any publicly traded company, normally you'll see BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street. There's a couple of others. But normally you'll see those names. BlackRock will normally be one of the top four or five shareholders of any publicly traded company. So interestingly enough, yesterday, BlackRock files for a Bitcoin ETF. They wanted, they wanted to make sure that it was more secure. They wanted to make sure that um, their clients had a way to invest with Bitcoin with a lot less risks. And the interesting part about all this is the SEC is going after Coinbase and they want to use Coinbase as their custodian. Wow. So uh, I think I think that's interesting because if if this would go through, I don't think the SEC is going to approve this, but it's BlackRock. So a couple of years ago, SEC rejected Grayscale Investments LLC application to convert their flagship spot Grayscale Bitcoin Trust into an ETF last June. And now, now Grayscale is suing the SEC on it. Um, so it's interesting because the SEC said it didn't meet anti-fraud and investor protection standards. So uh, BlackRock thinks that Coinbase can meet those standards. And if my understanding of it might be that BlackRock's now going to help at Coinbase fight back against the SEC. And so that the lawyers will come into play and say they are good. Their custodian is, is strong. And then you're going to see some growth with Coinbase stock because now you have the largest asset management company coming in and saying, we're backing you basically. That is interesting. I mean, BlackRock's definitely one of those companies that can pull some strings, you know, and, and lobby and have some influence. So it could very well be um, the case. When it comes to business, BlackRock has the pull. They haven't approved any applications, um, but they're saying, you know, that it, they'll exchange like a stock. So it, it's the ETF. I don't know. I'm a little, I'm a little leery of the whole thing. I don't know if it'll go through, but now that I'm sitting here actually thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, BlackRock has the firepower to make this work. We'll see over the course of the next 90 days what really happens with Coinbase and BlackRock and the ETF. If it does work out, it's a very secure place to buy and invest in Bitcoin. Bitcoin's up 3%, I'm pretty sure, based on the news. Wow. Um, oh, okay, based on the news. I mean, Bitcoin can fluctuate 3% in an hour, you know, but... <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Right, but, I, but just but as... Good the news is really getting out there the question is would you trust your bitcoin to blackrock i mean i mean i would still hold in my own wallet i mean not your keys not your coins right i would just yeah right hold it hold it in your own wallet why would i want to i i guess it's for people who are not that into crypto and they're just they want to be diversified i'm guessing so they want to be like they're in stocks they have a bit of crypto that you know those kind of people so, if it so goes through so we'll keep an eye on this and find out if it does go. I thought it was pretty interesting because it's BlackRock. Awesome. Well, I think that's pretty much all the topics for today. Thanks for uh, you know doing the show with me, Mike. Thank you for having me and, and let's keep going. So guys, if you want to follow us on any of the uh, 
short form media platforms. We've got TikTok, we've got Instagram Reels, and we've got YouTube. Our handle on those is Dirty Money Show. Do follow us. If you're listening on any of the major podcast platforms, leave us a five-star review. Share this with your friends so we can get the show out. And we'll see you guys next week with another episode of Dirty Money.